Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of September 14th, 2021, and episode number 491. And this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. And of course, the official home of the Paranormal News Insider, ParanewsInsider.com. Yikes. And uh, it's middle of September. It's crazy. We're uh, just over a month away, month and a half away from the biggest time of the year for us in the paranormal. Yes, Halloween is right around the corner. Starting to see a lot of uh, Christmas stuff out, too, which is not uh, doesn't make me happy. Uh, it's only September. We still got uh, uh, three months to go. We still got a quarter of the year to go, but it seems like it's it's almost over. For some reason. Uh, and yes, the I guess you call it the third quarter is winding down here in the paranormal. And we've got tonight a big story, potentially a, uh, a major development in the world of UFOs it, moving forward. Maybe. Let me say maybe because uh, it's still got a little ways to go. Uh, but it's a pretty big announcement. And we've got some... Uh, We've got some uh, some weird stories, weird stuff to talk about tonight. Uh, kind of all over the place looking at these uh, headlines here that we're going to talk about tonight. But uh, we're going to get right into it. We've got a lot, of, a lot of ground to cover. Some of these are some pretty controversial topics. And we're going to kind of dig into some of these things and uh, stir the pot maybe a little bit about all this stuff. Because uh, it's the unknown. We don't know. And, of course, everyone has an opinion as to what the unknown is all about. Uh, I don't have any major announcements with uh, events as of yet. I, I've kind of uh, I covered a lot last week about some changes and some cancellations and stuff that's going to be put off until next year. And, of course, I have one coming up in October. That's about a month away. I guess I better get working on that presentation uh, like I mentioned the last couple of weeks my first live appearance since 2019 and it will be at the Westerville Public Library which is my 13th consecutive year appearing at the library uh, I think I've 14 times in 13 years and uh, my topic this year will be on the unexplained cryptozoology ghosts UFOs and more what are the facts and it's going to be pretty uh, in-depth. Well, the uh, the uh, person who puts on the event for me, who uh, books it and gets the room and all the equipment and everything for me, he chose this year's topic. And sometimes we kind of go back and forth on the topic and uh, kind of hammer it out between the two of us to based on what uh, people had commented on my presentation the year before. Uh, this year, he just uh, threw that out there and said, hey, here's here's what I'm thinking. And I said, okay, I'll craft a, uh, a presentation around that topic. I, I, I like a good challenge. And uh, sometimes uh, 
I feel like I, I kind of talk about the same thing too much. So kind of forcing me outside of my boundaries is uh, is fun. And it creates a, me to do a little bit of research. So I'm excited about that, talking about the facts behind all those things. And, yeah, again, that's uh, October 18th, Westerville, Ohio, which is northeast of Columbus, just north of uh, the 270 loop that wraps around the big city down there in Franklin County, capital of the Buckeye State. So looking forward to that. And, of course, there's a lot of events left for the year, and some of them are definitely going on where others, I think, are kind of watching to see how things are going to fall into place as we head into the fall season. Of course, uh, people are talking about and thinking about getting flu shots, which is a smart thing. Last thing we want is, uh, you know, last year everyone was wearing masks, so now they're not. And if we start getting flu outbreaks, it's really going to confuse people. And it's probably going to lead to some uh, not-so-fun moments out there in the general public. That's my thought. Uh, So we'll see what happens as we head into the cooler months. I kind of can't wait. I love the heat. I don't mind warm weather at all. I'm not a big fan of snow. I don't know why. I live in northeast Ohio, but I don't, don't like the cold. You know, the, the heat, the heat, you can, you know, get wet and cool down and take a shower, whatever you got to do. Uh, but the cold, you just got to throw more coats on, gloves, hats, and uh, it just hurts. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's coming. It's right around the corner. Here I go talking about the end of the year. It's only, it's only September. So I got a long way to go. Anyway, we're going to jump into the news tonight, as we always do, starting off in cryptid news. And we're going to kind of circle back to uh, a very similar story that happened earlier this year. It's it's weird. You know, a few years ago, we were talking about uh, mountain lion sightings all over the Northeast. Uh, then uh, a couple of years ago, we were talking about these all these alligator sightings all over the, the Northeast and in strange places where they're not supposed to exist. Now, it seems like uh, 2021 is the year of the serval. Yes, in early July, we were talking about a wild serval, which is a uh, kind of a smaller-looking leopard uh, kind of, uh, you know, it's got the little dots on it. looks like a leopard. Uh, it is from Africa. It's a wild cat that lives in Africa that uh, people seemingly, for some strange reason, think are extremely cute and want to have as pets, and they think that uh, they can tame them. For some reason, um, remember uh, it was uh, early July, I believe, the first full week of July. There was one loose in the suburbs uh, surrounding Atlanta, Georgia, and that was a big deal. Uh, a woman had kept it, uh, the wild African pet, as a as a uh, her cat as a pet while she was in college. Uh, she brought it from another state, I believe that was South Carolina, where it's legal to have one of these things, and in Georgia, it, it's not. So the animal was uh, surrendered to authorities. And that was a pretty big story uh, all over the news everywhere. Now we're looking at the West Coast. So multiple sightings north of San Diego, California, have made headlines as another serval is scaring residents uh, as it's consuming chickens. Yeah, don't mess with the chickens, especially out there. They 
They use those to uh, make their own food. Uh, the owner of the cat has come forward and says that its name is Pharaoh, and it had escaped an enclosure back on August 7th of this year. And uh, previously we were talking about the serval back in July and you know, made mention that uh, these are escape artists. They're very good at uh, getting out of enclosures. That's what they do. And no surprise here. Uh, a lot of them get out. They uh, presume that the animal did that had escaped was killed by coyotes. Uh, but they're very clever. They can climb trees. So they can get away from danger pretty easily. Uh, they can be pretty uh, scary themselves. So the coyotes are, plus they're not used to those things. It's not like a little dog that's just going to bark. These things will attack. Um, so a little different. I'm sure the coyotes aren't sure what to make of this thing. Uh, Emily Schultz, who is the uh, owner, states that her husband and mom bought the cat four years ago from a breeder in Mississippi. And they thought it was an F1 Savannah cat. So there's a, a grading scale of Savannah cats. And Savannahs uh, are basically a hybrid of a serval and a domesticated cat. However, on these uh, F scales, I believe the lower the number, the closer they are to being a savanna. So as you breed them, continue to breed them with domesticated cats, they've become a little bit more docile, a little bit more um, easier tempered, I guess you could say. Because they're closer to a domesticated cat. But an F1, that's pretty much just right removed from a savannah cat. So it's really hardly any difference from what I've read. Uh, they're pretty much the same thing. It's just a small genetic change. They're a little bit easier to deal with. But they're still really an exotic animal. Although uh, many states don't designate an F1 as a uh, as an uh, exotic pet because of the uh, breeding but it's just a, it's a small minor detail, in my opinion. But uh, now they're thinking the cat may be full serval, or maybe they, they know it is, and they're just kind of – maybe they fabricated the uh, paperwork. Who knows? Uh, but if this cat is captured, I'm sure it will be tested. And uh, in California, you know, California, and it's all its multitude of laws – uh, they're illegal to own, big surprise, without a special permit. So they're afraid that they're going to lose their little pet, Serval. And it's creating havoc. It's got people uh, a little nervous, which uh, kind of should be. It's not going to uh, attack a full-grown human. It's not going to hurt anybody. Uh, but it could attack small pets, children. Uh, these are wild animals, and it's confused. It's out in the... The open, even if it is an F1, they're still a little bit dangerous, and they don't belong in people's houses. These are wild animals, uh, basically, and, and us, uh, this is kind of a topic tonight as well. The uh, breeding things and hybridization is something we're going to talk a little bit more tonight on the show. Uh, later on, we're talking about bringing some animals back from the dead. Not figure, not uh, literally, but figuratively, back from the dead. Uh, re, kind of not reanimating them, but recreating them. Just think Jurassic Park. That's where we're headed. Uh, but where we're headed right now, from Southern California, we're going to head out to the land down under. So here in North America, 
cryptozoologists are focused on Bigfoot, Sasquatch, and the other regional names uh, such as Skunk Ape, Falk Monster, Grassman, so on and so forth. They can probably go for a good 15 minutes talking about all the varieties of the Bigfoot creature. And it's probably the biggest pursuit here in North America. There are probably more Bigfoot groups than UFO organizations. Probably not uh, anywhere close to the amount of ghost groups, but um, within cryptozoology, uh, it's pretty much Bigfoot. You know, there is a small contingent of uh, wildcat groups. Uh, most of those are uh, probably more scientists than amateurs, but uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot of other major groups out there. Some dogman stuff, and I think that's pretty much gone nowadays. Um, but yeah, Bigfoot is it here in North America. And it's the same all over the world. There's a lot of Bigfoot groups. Uh, again, it depends on what it's called regionally. And, of course, in Australia, the name is Yowie. Yowie. And we don't get to talk about the Yowie too much. Every now and again, it does peek its, its head into the news. And people always wonder, well, what's the difference between a Yowie and a Bigfoot other than being in Australia, and of course, anybody who's ever heard of Bigfoot or studied Bigfoot, uh, read about it, or gone to a presentation about Bigfoot, knows that they've been seen on every major continent, with the exception of Antarctica. And I always thought they didn't exist in Hawaii, but apparently, there are settings out there. Um, so everywhere, it seems like, there are either giant bipedal wild creatures and even you go to indonesia and some of these other smaller uh, islands or countries and they have uh, smaller versions of this stuff too so this is a worldwide phenomena so why not australia it's a, a giant piece of land that has uh, some of the world's strangest animals and some of the most deadliest animals in it and around it course home to great white sharks as well so why not a giant wild bipedal creature and uh, with the cool name of yowie a uh, recent article in pert now not uh, not the uh, shampoo not that cheap shampoo stuff but uh, pert the city i'm sorry pert perth let's say pert i get that typo uh, perth focuses on uh, Jason Heal, who is a uh, cryptozoologist, which is a self-appointed title, um, of Perth. I guess there's not that many of them. The, a lot of the ones that are around are a lot older. They don't have a huge list of people like we do here in the United States. Uh, Jason Heal is currently searching for the elusive Australian cousin to Bigfoot. And he is one half of the founding members of the Yowie Research Group, which formed in 2012 in Perth. With an H. Uh, Hill states, quote, I recently saw Yowies. I guess they call them Yowies. We don't call them Big Feet or Bigfoots. We just call them Bigfoot. We should anyway. Uh, he says, I recently saw Yowies running at superhuman speeds north of Bullsbrook. I believe there is a population of Yowies all around the outer suburbs. I think they go to pockets of bush near people and use bush corridors. But because they are moving in 
early hours of morning and are incredibly quick. People never see them, unquote. Superhuman speed. I, I don't know. Is that like the bionic man? I think uh, somebody mentioned that last week in the uh, the chat room about uh, – I don't remember how we got on that subject of the bionic man. But uh, Bigfoot appeared in the bionic man a few times, and well, he was a robot created by aliens. It's kind of weird. Be, uh, maybe I should bring that back. Anyway, uh, as to the lack of evidence to back up the numerous sightings in Australia – uh, he says, quote, a lot of people think I must be a loony to believe they exist because if they did, they would have found the bodies or the bones by now. But Yowies are elusive and have the intelligence to stay away from human beings. If you look at every culture around the world, they all have their own version of Yowie. Whether it is a Yeti, Sasquatch, there has to be something to it, unquote. I hear that a lot here in the United States as well. Uh, people say, well, you know, since they are seen on every major continent with the exception of Antarctica, that means they must be real. Well, that's, a, that's kind of a logical fallacy, really. Um, what would that be? Uh, appealing to popularity, bandwagon effect kind of thing. Uh, since it's believed to occur in other places, this means that it occurs here. And is validated because it can, it's everywhere, so it has to be real. Uh, again, that's a uh, it's a logical fallacy. It doesn't prove anything really. Uh, and the sightings are a little bit more difficult in Australia versus here. We have tons of them, which almost we have too many when you really think about it. Because there should be many Bigfoots or big feets. Is it big feet or big feets or just Bigfoot? I don't know. Bigfooters. It should be everywhere, really. There should be, uh, there should be uh, probably 20 in every county in Ohio for the amount of sightings. In California, they should be on pretty much every street corner at this point uh, if they're going to have uh, to support the amount of sightings that people have had. Uh, anyway, Heal continues. He says, quote, Australian indigenous elders know about them for sure. It's part of their folklore and they have passed down stories of their existence over thousands of years, but keep it quiet. They are not homo sapiens. They're not monkeys or apes, but they have a primate face, but are more human-like. And they vary in size. You have small ones the size of a child and bigger ones that grow up to 11 feet, which have been seen in the Blue Mountains. Uh, they will eat anything, berries, plants, kangaroos. Snakes, wallabies, and roadkill. Oh, and humans, too. That last part there got uh, a lot of headlines surrounding this story. I uh, continue as he says, uh, there are a lot of people who go missing in the bush, and the cases remain unsolved, and it is usually put down to a homicide. But I think some of these are work of yowies, unquote. I guess it would be unquote again because I quote it within quotes. Anyway, uh, I'm not sure about that. A lot of people go missing in the bush, put down as a homicide. I don't, I don't think it's a homicide. If people just go missing, say, uh, get lost in the woods, was a mother nature convicted of, of murder? 
of homicide? They're premeditated? I'm confused. I don't know where he's, what he's getting at there, but I, what I, I guess what he's getting at is people go missing, and it, you know, he thinks it's uh, these yaoi's that are just finding people and pulling them into their their tree hut or their they live in the trees. I don't know where they live in Australia. You know, I know here in Ohio, it's rumored, uh, just like in Florida, that they live in uh, underground caves or uh, holes dug in the ground. Where well, I guess in Florida it's uh, alligator dens. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that they're responsible for. It. Maybe, maybe that's you know missing 411 here. We talk about that in the United States where you know, people go missing. Maybe it's the the Bigfoots, the Big Feets, kidnapping people. Uh, Heel also believes. Of course, there is a government cover-up because, you know, the uh, indigenous elders are involved in that, too. They're covering things up. They don't want people to know about that. You know, they could be selling statues and T-shirts and making a lot of money, but no, no, no. They're hush-hush about this. Uh, he believes the government cover-up behind the creatures, and they know about their existence, it's, and it's hushed to keep tourists flowing in constantly. And he says if everyone knew they existed, then no one would go camping. No one will go camping. I think they don't go camping because of the bugs that are three feet wide and the snakes and the dingoes and everything else that's dangerous there. Kangaroos. Kangaroos will um, lure people or animals into the water and they uh, drown them. If that's not scary, that that's going to keep me from camping. Uh, you know, I love backpacking, I love hiking, I love camping, uh, but I won't do it in Australia. I'll stay in a hotel. The amount of strange and dangerous creatures that exist out there. Not afraid of Yowie. Not afraid of Yowie at all. Uh, Curtin University associate professor Bill Bateman highly doubts there is an undiscovered large primate wandering through the bush. Uh, he says, "quote There's no fossil evidence." There's no reliable biological evidence that primates prior to human beings ever made it to Australasia. Australasia? It's weird. Uh, I would love to be proved wrong. The discovery of something like a yaoi would be immensely exciting, but it is entirely reasonable to take a skeptical, evidence-led approach to claims about unknown animals, unquote. Uh, so, yeah, science... I highly doubts that they're very, uh, you know, they're bad here in the United States. They really don't think that these things are real. In Australia, it's very, very dismissive uh, about this stuff. And like I said, there's a smaller contingency of people that are out there searching the bush for these animals. And uh, I, I, yeah, it's it's hard to believe this stuff. And it's it's weird, too, how it's very similar when you hear about all this stuff. In Australia, uh, there's a lot of things that are very similar there that there are in North America. A cover-up, uh, we hear that a lot. Uh, what's, I guess, not caught on down there is an interdimensional thing, but I'm sure that won't be too long down the road where they'll talk about all that as much as we do here in the United States. It's a big debate. And um, trying to think here. Yowie history. Uh, when was the first Yowie reported is a question in chat. Now, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm not really a 
a Yowie expert, uh, but I know uh, with Australia, I don't want to call it a new settlement. It's new-ish, newer. Um, but of course, here in the United States, you're talking the 1960s is when Bigfoot really took off. And then, of course, uh, there's some major sightings in the 1930s. And, of course, then people start backdating things and talking about uh, the uh, Western cultures that have, have seen these things for a long time. I think that's a, a very similar timeline that occurs in uh, Australia as well with the, uh, the Yowie. Uh, I don't think sightings really took off until actually much later. Of course, here in the United States, uh, the 60s were big. But 1970s is when uh, really the, the big flaps, you know, Pennsylvania had, uh, of course, that was tied in with UFO sightings, uh, major flaps of Bigfoot sightings. And it's probably, I think, I think that's really when it took off out there as well. Um Yeah, I think, kind of looking here, yeah, looks like 70s was uh, kind of the biggest time. Of course, you know, they backdate stuff, talking about the earliest uh, accounts probably in the 1800s. Same thing that happened here in the United States. When once it became big, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, well, by the way, they've been talking about this for 100 years, even though nobody really knew or cared. Uh, but it looks like the 70s were the biggest times, and that's kind of gone downhill. Rex Gilroy, that's the guy I was thinking of. Rex Gilroy is uh, pretty much the big uh, premier uh, paranormal, well, I guess the cryptozoologist in the uh, Australian outback. He uh, He's the big, he's probably the biggest guy behind the Yowie, and he started in the mid-1970s, so it's pretty much when it became popular out in Australia from uh, Rex Gilroy, who's um I believe I, I pretty much he's retired. He's pretty he's getting up there in age. Uh, he still does uh, news reports every now and again. Haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, but you know it's a it's a really interesting thing. But it, of course, there's always these weird things that come out. It's the we've never heard of that here in the United States with superhuman speed. Of course, all this other stuff, you know, the uh, the doubt about the existence, the lack of bones, uh, the cover-ups. And, of course, we don't hear too much in the United States about uh, Bigfoot kidnapping and eating people. Of course, I mentioned 1930 accounts. There was a, a pretty big account where a uh, – I don't remember what he was doing. He was a, far a logger, a farmer, or or what – uh, but this person purportedly was kidnapped and taken to a Bigfoot camp where he uh, escaped and told a story. And, you know, we should all believe that, right? Yikes. Uh, UFO news. We're going to, I don't really have a segue to move us into outer space. Uh, but some big news that uh, leaked, well, I should say leaked, came out yesterday. Let's just put it to you that way. Uh, so it's kind of been building for a little while. Uh, it was a rumor not too long ago. Didn't seem like it was going to be a big deal, but this could be the biggest 
can I say UFO anymore? I'm not sure. UFO UAP story. Uh, you know, we had one in late June that uh, seemingly was the the peak of the UAP stories. And, you know, we said after that, it's just going to be kind of downhill. You hear some stuff here and there, but we'll see where it leads, where it goes. But now it seems like things are about to get interesting. Uh, so in 1947, we had Project Sign, which was established to investigate claims of UFOs reported with the premise that they might be a national security concern. Of course, that's where we're at right now, present day, thinking about national security concerns, not so much with um, invasion of aliens, but of course, uh, potentially other countries. But uh, of course, this was followed by Project Grudge and the most famous of all projects, uh, Project Blue Book, which, of course, we had a was it two seasons on the History Channel, which is most of it was 90 percent. It was well, 98 percent. It was probably fiction. Uh, and of course, all that came to a uh, the same conclusion. It says that uh, there was no credible evidence of anything going on. And most, if not all, experiences had some sort of logical explanations. Um they were all most of them were created from mass hysteria or individuals who were looking for a publicity or maybe a hoax. And of course, all of that really concluded uh, after the shutdown of those three projects with the uh, giant sledgehammer named the Condon Report, which pretty much said it's all a bunch of rubbish. And that pretty much dismantled most of the. Uh, UFO uh, research organizations, except for MUFON, kind of hung out. And of course, uh, people like Stanton Friedman brought Roswell back into the fold a couple decades later and got this stuff going again. And here we are heading into 2022 in a few months. Still September. Let's slow down with Christmas. And of course, we have the upcoming financial year. 2022, which is uh, being looked at by the government. You know, what are we going to spend money on next year? It's always the big thing. And of course, you know, we got to have raises for ourselves. I wish I could do that. Can you imagine doing that at your work, having a meeting later in the year and saying, okay, what are we going to raise our salaries to next year? I'd love to do that. Uh, the upcoming financial year 2022 National Defense Authorization Act. If you want to read it, I'll give it the link on uh, congress.gov. You can read it. It's uh, only 1,362 pages. I think I got through the first five before I went and took a nap. Uh, and within that uh, bill, I guess it's a bill, uh, it calls for a permanent office designed to address unidentified aerial phenomena or UFOs. So a permanent office, not like a room in the basement at the FBI uh, with a UFO poster on it or anything like that. We're talking the Department of Defense taking over and kind of putting all this stuff together from the Navy and other branches of the military. This is a, this is a pretty big thing if it goes through. And part of the legislation reads 
quote, not later than 180 days after the date of the enactment of this act, the Secretary of Defense, in coordination with the Director of National Intelligence, shall establish an office within the office of the Secretary of Defense to carry out on a department-wide basis the mission currently performed by the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force as of the date of the enactment of this act. Unquote. Seems like a lot of enactments there. Uh, Despite the closure of the Project Blue Book back in 1969, we found out in December of 2017 through the New York Times that the government had been documenting sightings of unknown craft in the sky since around 2008. In August of 2020, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, UAPTF, was established to document and disseminate the uh, recent sightings. And this, of course, led to the preliminary assessment of unidentified aerial phenomena. Uh, That very short report, was it like five pages, seven pages, and most of it was just a heading and conclusions and not much, not much meat and potatoes in that thing. Uh, it was made in uh, public in June of this year. So, yeah, not a whole lot of uh, information that really, uh, really didn't do anything. So it's it's interesting that they're pushing for this. They're going to. Uh, they want to expand on this. This is like. It's going to be huge. You know, a, a new Project Blue Book in our lifetimes, uh, whatever they're going to call it, who knows? That would be pretty neat. I'll throw my head. I'll go work for the government. I'll go do that. Sure. Um, yeah. Give me a little fancy hat and a briefcase, and I'll go uh, scouting and talking to pilots and trying to figure out what's going on. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. Um, so the... The bill outlined, and like I said, it's uh, there's a lot of wording. There's a lot of stuff. Kind of read part of it. Uh, outlined in the bill, this uh, new UAP office has some specific responsibilities, uh, including developing procedures to synchronize and standardize the collection, reporting, and analysis of incidents regarding unidentified aerial phenomena across the Department of Defense. Bringing it all together into one home. That's what we really need. Uh, Also developing processes and procedures to ensure that such incidents from each military department are reported and incorporated into a centralized repository. Not a fan of the word repository, but I get it. Uh, Putting it all into one basket. Again, very important. Uh, Establishing procedures to require the timely and consistent reporting of such incidents Yes, uh, the quicker you get things turned in, the quicker they can be investigated, disseminated, and uh, a logical, if possible, conclusion could be sought. And you know, when you get a report of something that happened seven or eight years ago, there's not a whole lot you can do with that. Um, Evaluating links between unidentified aerial phenomena and the adversarial foreign governments, other foreign governments, or non-state actors. So is this, uh, are these little green aliens flying around in little metallic tic-tac-shaped 
flying saucers or is this technology that exists by our adversaries which i i think if uh, the ones that aren't explainable by technology working against us or seeing pelicans flying or reflections of distant jets which is you know the more and more you go uh, you really eliminate more and more of these sightings but I do believe a small contingency of these things could be foreign government spying on us is the majority of unexplained stuff really uh, coming through these reports. Uh, the next thing here, evaluating the threat that such incidents present to the United States. So what are these things doing? The ones that we can't explain or the ones that aren't misidentification, what are they up to? And are they foreign or potentially domestic threats? Are they trying to steal uh, technology to sell to other governments? That's, that's something that I think could be happening. Uh, also, uh, coordinating with other departments and agencies of the federal government as appropriate. And last but not least, coordinating with allies and partners of the United States as appropriate to better assess the nature and extent of the unidentified aerial phenomena. And I think that's a big one. You know, we always think that the uh, the aliens are going to come here to the to the uh, planet Earth and they're going to come right to the United States and land on the White House lawn because we're the most important country in the world. And they're going to know that. Right? No. And we're not the only ones seeing things. Uh, we're not the only ones with technology pointed at the sky. We're not the only ones taking these reports. And some governments are a lot more open. Well, I guess up until recently, the United States really has kind of opened the doors saying what I've been saying all along. That they don't really know much. It seems like uh, before December of 2017, when all this uh, kind of started flowing out, everyone always thought that the government had all these secrets. And I think people still do think that the government knows way more than what they actually do. But it seems to me that it uh, it's true. They really have no clue what's going on in our skies. They um, probably don't have reverse engineered UFOs. They probably don't have bodies. Uh, Hangar 18 is a cool song, but it's probably not the home to aliens or uh, the uh, Roswell crash or anything like that. Um, I, I think this is a good step forward uh, for this latest batch of sightings. You know, disconnect from the the age of disinformation. Uh, I think UFOs back in the '60s, uh, I should say the '40s through the '60s. You know, had developing technology. We were you know going through wars, and I think UFOs was a nice way to kind of keep people's interest in other things and away from our emerging technology as well as technology emerging around the world. You know, you're talking uh, jet engines, uh, jet aircraft, uh, sophisticated, super high-flying, super fast-flying jets, uh, stealth technology, all this stuff coming out, and we wanted to keep it under wraps. Because, you know, by the time we find out about stuff like the stealth fighter, the stealth bomber used, 
you know, 20, 30 years ago or even longer. Uh, of course, these were in development for 20 years prior to that. So, of course, we got to fool the public. We got to kind of create a backstory or create a uh, diversion. But now it seems like, oh, that's out the window. We're not sure what's going on. Maybe this could just be a modern day version of that. Maybe we do have technology of little tic-tac-shaped um, things that can fly to the sky super fast that can't be detected. And, you know, maybe we're just trying to see uh, how it works for us. Uh, but either way, this is a, this is a pretty big announcement. And, of course, it's not here yet. We've got a, a ways to go. Um, lawmakers will also require the new UAP office to provide the Senate and House Armed Services and Foreign Affairs Committees with an annual report detailing its activities until at least December 31st, 2026. So, of course, this formation wouldn't occur until uh, next year if it does go through. And, of course, with uh, uh, annual reports, and some of this stuff could leak out. Uh, other information about UAPs is leaked out from these uh, uh, similar reports. So it's not as if all this is going to be top secret redacted information that's going to take years of FOIA um, requests to dig stuff out, dig information out. Uh, granted, we're not going to get the full, uh, you know, the full details of everything that's going on. And we'll see. But again, you know, this could be modern day technology, uh, drone technology. We, we had that story a couple of years ago about the drones over the the um, well, I guess not the Midwest, the West, Western states, all the drone sightings out there. Not uh, not your like hobby drones with the the four blades, you know, above it, but the kind of drone that just flies like a like a missile kind of drone. Um, that's where we're headed. We're headed to autonomous, unmanned things flying around our skies. So maybe that's where we're at. Maybe that's what all this is about. Maybe it's just covering up our technology that we've developed and we don't want our adversaries to find out about it. So we're just disguising it or we're creating these sightings that we know what they are. We're just trying to focus the attention on something else so that people aren't looking at what's really going on. So uh, we've gotten pretty good at that over the years, over the decades. Uh, information Cover up by disinformation reveal. Uh, presently, um, the financial year 2022, the FY 2022 National Defense Authorization Act, uh, which includes this UAP office provision, uh, it's passed the House Armed Services Committee and will now move to the House floor. And if it gets approved by the House, the bill will move on to the Senate. Uh, before hopefully being finalized, and then uh, would be passed to President Biden to be signed into law. And you may not have heard too much about this. This might be the first time you've heard about it. Uh, you might have seen some 
small snippets in the news about this, but if this goes that far and goes under the pen of Biden, President Biden to be signed, uh, this is going to be a big story. It's going to be on headlines everywhere. And of course, uh, let's not get too excited because it still could could still fail, could still get, uh, could also get changed. Uh, there could be uh, a lot of changes along the way if it is pushed in, uh, if it is approved uh, by the House floor or even uh, the Senate or even the president could remove or create additions to this, uh, which could alter, completely alter. I, I think it's it's created very very well. I think everything that's put into this is exactly what we need to really get down to the bottom of it. Uh, you know, a bunch of uh, a bunch of seventy-year-old men sitting in a room who don't really get out or see this stuff or understand the technology uh, isn't really going to move us forward. Obviously, uh, one hundred forty-three of one hundred forty-four settings are not uh, figured out. Well, that's because it's again a bunch of seventy-year-old guys who don't know anything about this stuff are looking at this information. Uh, so we do need boots on the ground. We do need an organization that's looping all this stuff together, bringing all these separate organizations into one room, one filing cabinet, and an organization that's reaching out to all, not only all branches of the government, but all governments of our allies to bring all this information together and to really figure out what's going on, to, to look at each individual event as what it is, instead of looping all this stuff together, I think is very, very important. So I think this is a, a very big move. If we're going to talk about UAPs in the future, if we're going to really take this stuff seriously, other than uh, a way to shift money around or a way to get uh, a loan for the Department of Defense, I think this is the right move. I think this is uh, going to move this thing forward. And, you know, the, the Department of Defense uh, bringing us more specific information about what's going on in our skies. Uh, I think this is extremely important. And uh, again, we'll see. It could uh, all, all it takes is one angry argument. And the whole thing can uh, can just uh, go put get put on the shelf. But I think, you know, this is. Uh, this is the topic that's been floating around for a while. And uh, both sides of the aisle are kind of talking about this. And I think this is one thing that everybody takes um, takes seriously. Maybe not thinking that it's UFOs or aliens, but this is a matter of national defense. This is a matter of information that could... Uh, could or make or break us if, if we choose to ignore it uh, could uh, cause problems and the general public I think is starting to get swept up into this as well so got uh, a good feeling about this but of course uh, you always wonder what the ulterior motives are for this and again I think anytime you're talking about money there's corruption and uh, potential for misinformation and speaking of money 
We're going to head into other news. We're going to throw around uh, some big names, some rich people like Elon Musk, the guy who owns Tesla, the guy who owns SpaceX. Uh, of course, we have Amazon, giant corporation uh, where we, uh, we're all addicted to ordering things. We forget what we ordered, but there's a box on our doorstep. Let's open it up and Try to remember what we ordered. Figure out what's in the box. Uh, Jeff Bezos. And, of course, we also have Richard Branson we can throw in there. As uh, those three have uh, recently dipped their toes or pretty much jumped into space. Sort of. uh, Into the space arena, I guess you could say, in uh, recent years. And now, Apple. Yes, I'm not an Apple fan, I'm not an iPhone fan, uh, but Apple is officially joining the space race. Of course, they're not calling it that. Uh, co-founder of Apple, Steve Wozniak, is starting a private space company, which is called Privateer Space. And while Musk has SpaceX and the uh, great Starlink, which is uh, tossing up thousands of satellites into orbit around the planet. Way to go, Elon. Uh, At least he got his Tesla out of the way up there in space. Uh, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos also are looking at space travel. So we privatize space travel. Uh, Sorry, NASA. Uh, It seems Wozniak is focused on space debris. And not so much space travel, at least not yet. But I'm sure Apple will get there eventually. Um, trip to Mars via Apple. I'm sure, it'll be in the future. And you, you can only travel with an iPhone. No Android is allowed. Uh, you know, I talked about uh, this topic, space debris, quite a bit over the last uh, few months. Seems like I mentioned it a few times in the last couple of months uh, about the uh, Kessler syndrome, where the increasing amount of space debris, uh, all these satellites. Again, thank you, Elon, for Starlink. It's going to eventually have 20,000 satellites. So all this stuff, uh, working satellites, operational satellites, as well as non-operational satellites, all this stuff floating around us in space uh, has that potential of colliding. It's not that big of a deal if they collide. Yeah, it's going to create more space debris. But what happens is space debris uh, collides, creates even more space debris, and those space debris could collide, and it could cause a cataclysmic snowball effect, which could uh, create thousands and thousands of smaller pieces and parts, which, again, could continue to collide with other objects, which could ultimately, and you know, this sounds a little extreme, but it's it's very possible because we're talking about space here. It's not like stuff's going to stop in the street. You know, a car accident, you have debris that uh, stops rolling. Well, in space, it doesn't stop rolling. It just keeps going. Uh, sometimes if it's knocked out of orbit, yeah, it's going to burn up, but that doesn't always happen. And these uh, thousands of smaller parts could uh, could render us stuck on Earth. It could uh, ruin our satellites, destroy technology, uh, all of our weather satellites, all of our communication satellites, our 
you know, everything that's up there could just uh, come to an end, including Starlink and Sirius XM satellite radio. My goodness. Better prorate me on the bill. Um, yeah, the snowball effect of collisions, again, could keep us trapped on Earth for centuries, if not longer. It's not going to return us to the Stone Age, but it's certainly not going to help uh, our technological efforts. So Privateer uh, is here to create affordable and lightweight satellites that will aid in monitoring and cleaning up space debris. Although uh, so far I've not seen any official announcement. I was kind of waiting uh, kind of today for some uh, a big official announcement. Now Steve uh, did tweet out a short video and a small announcement, which is all this is based on. Uh, but no official announcement, although more information will be coming at the Advanced Maui Optical and Space Surveillance Technologies Conference, or AMOS Conference, it's a mouthful, uh, which kicked off today out in Hawaii, and it runs through Friday. But uh, again, so far, no major announcement or no more details, but hopefully we'll know more next week. But that's uh, that's huge. Somebody cleaning up space, finally. Uh, the United States basically said, uh, we don't have the money for it. We're not going to waste our time. And they're allowing all these companies to throw up these uh, constellations of uh, communication satellites up into space. And, you know, like we mentioned, uh, SpaceX Starlink satellites uh, readjust themselves in space. So all these, uh, the organization that tracks all this stuff is having a hard time figuring out what Starlink satellites are going to do. They just kind of move on their own. So that doesn't help. And the more and more that that happens, the, the increase of potential collisions also increases. So we got somebody up there with a little space weeper. It's cleaning up all this stuff, uh, putting it in the space dumpster. I don't know how they're going to do it. I just imagine like a, a big truck, little arms, grabbing all this little debris and putting it into a uh, big space dump truck. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. That's just what I envision here. Uh, cleaning it up. Clean up the town. Clean up the space. Clean it up. That could be good. Um, as long as nothing happens. It, it seems like recently, there's only been three major collisions, but it's, they're all pretty recent. So it's a little nerve-wracking, and hopefully uh, Apple can help clean up the skies a little bit. And speaking of startup companies, uh, the next story could be considered a cryptid story or even a UFO story, I guess, for that matter. But it's something that's been cropping up for years. Uh, this has been on uh, numerous websites. Uh, we've talked about it here on the show a, a few times. And I'm sure you've heard about the hypothesis of bringing animals back to life that were extinct and one of the most famous ones, of course, is the woolly mammoth. And odds are extremely slim to be able to do some, but a genome project sequenced uh, DNA of the creature back in 2015, which has uh, renewed that interest. Uh, or I should say renewed, but it made it even bigger. A lot of people, a lot of organizations around the world are now focused on having these things uh, stomping around northern Canada or Asia or Europe. In the near future, 
Now, living cells are required to create a clone, and researchers from around the world have been trying to stimulate cells into regrowing. Uh, there was some success uh, a few years ago on that, but it was very short-lived, and it just shows that we're we're getting closer, but we're still not there. Some of these uh, efforts have been going on for 20 years or longer. And in March of this year, we heard about a team at Harvard University that aims to bring back the woolly mammoth. Uh, the reasons for doing so seem to be centered on improving and potentially saving the permafrost in the northern regions of North America, Europe, and Asia. However, even if it were possible, creating new versions of extinct animals has many environmental and ethical concerns that science uh, they really need to address or consider before moving forward. And it, it just, I don't know, everything I'm saying feels like we've heard it on Jurassic Park, the original movie and book. Thank you, Michael Creighton. Uh, a nonprofit group called Revive and Restore also looks at the potential for examining uh, and reanimating genes for solving future problems. Uh, one example is looking at the mammoth hemoglobin to see if it has an effect on treating human diseases as well as seeing if it could assist in helping humans adapt to cold environments such as space. That's a little scary. I'm going to be injecting myself with uh, woolly mammoth DNA anytime soon. Uh, it also looks at how bioengineering can be used to alter existing animals in order to protect, to protect them. Uh, an example is altering DNA in elephants to make ivory tusks useless in trade markets. I don't know how you do that. Uh, in March, George Church of Harvard uh, was advertising for a geneticist to help him bring the woolly mammoth back from the dead. Now, an organization has been created to help move the idea forward. Uh, this venture is called Colossal. An investor named Ben Lamb has stepped forward as a co-founder of the company and is providing $15 million to get things started. Uh, Colossal is described as a, quote, breakthrough bioscience and genetic engineering company that is accepting humanity's duty to restore Earth to a healthier state while also serving for future economies and biological necessities of the human condition through cutting-edge science and technologies, unquote. I think all that really means is we're going to alter DNA to make things go how we want, which I'm sure that'll work flawlessly with no side effects. Uh, ben Lamb is also CEO of a company he created called Hypergiant Industries, created in 2018. One of the projects that created attention was announced last year as it intends to create a network of satellites to create a 3D view of potential UFOs, or I guess UAPs, in order to help identify them or document unknown objects. And, of course, that's still in the developmental phase. Uh, the Colossal team is in the gene editing phase, and they're working to splice and edit cells, which can then be cloned to create embryos. Uh, the plan is to produce elephant-mammoth hybrids in four to six years and to create large herds, which will then be reintroduced to the Arctic. Uh, the thought is that reintroduction could slow the melting of permafrost by bringing back the grasslands of the Arctic, storing carbon and methane. Uh, it's a pretty simple explanation of a very complicated process, and it's also very expensive. And like I said, it's an ethical gamble 
which could have adverse environmental impacts. We'll see how the world will react as well as we get closer to this actually being a reality. Uh, once uh, once this is taking off, once this becomes a reality, I think society is going to have something to say about it. And the ironic thing here is that while the woolly mammoth coexisted with humans for thousands of years, it went extinct over 10,000 years ago. And many feel that humans who early humans who hunted the animal for various reasons were responsible for its extinction, while others feel that climate change led to their demise. Granted, it's more than likely a combination of those things, plus other variables that created their downfall. And now here we are to try to bring them back to solve climate change. Uh, The bigger thing here, I think the underlying issue is uh, this makes me worry that eventually all animals will essentially be genetically modified by humans, just like many plants, domesticated fruits and vegetables and animals like cows, pigs, chickens, and turkeys are. They're nothing like what they were even 100 years ago. Everything has changed, and we've altered everything. Uh, can we just leave wild animals alone? I get the uh, concern, but I tell you, we, we've found out time and time again that every time we meddle with nature, we just make things worse. I don't know if we're going to learn it this time, uh, but I'd really like to avoid that if possible. And with that, I want to thank everybody in chat and everybody also who is not in chat for listening to tonight's show. Uh, It was a great adventure with you guys and love exploring the weird, the strange, and of course, the paranormal. And I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, and the hair standing on the back of your neck. And always keep your mind slightly ajar. Don't let your brains fall out, but don't believe everything you see and you hear. And above all else, my best advice for you is don't stop believing. And keep singing it on karaoke night. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.